0: I'm tired of being quiet.
1: An angry President Biden demands passage of key voting rights bills. Republicans fire back. So
2: much for unifying the country and working across the aisle.
1: Looks like inflation may be around for a while. This as the pandemic rolls on and tensions rise between the U.S. and Russia.
3: That the United States is ripe for being intimidated and ripe for being pushed around.
1: I'm Paul Brandis in Washington. You're listening to West Wing Reports. It's Friday, January 14th. We begin this week with a story about election fraud, a massive attempt by Trump supporters to rig the 2020 election. A watchdog group, American Oversight, has obtained through the Freedom of Information Act documents alleging that Trump supporters submitted phony electoral vote certificates to Congress from seven states Georgia, Arizona, Michigan. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Nevada, and New Mexico in a scheme to overturn the legitimate counting of electoral votes that were submitted by those states to Congress. The documents are signed by Trump supporters who claim to be the rightful electors from those states, all of which were really won by President Biden. But these rogue slates of electors did not have the backing of any elected officials in the states, like a governor or secretary of state. This has all become part of the January 6th commission that's investigating last year's attack on the Capitol, the story first reported by Politico. One reason for such alleged desperate measures by Republicans is this fact— In the last eight presidential elections, Republicans have won the popular vote in just one of them. And demographics, namely the shriveling percentage of white voters, does not suggest future success. This helps explain Republican efforts to make voting more difficult around the country. What exactly are those efforts? Well, here are just four examples. Eliminating no-excuse absentee voting for voters under the age of 65, tighter limits on early person in voting, removing secure ballot drop boxes, And forcing folks to stand in long lines, but making it illegal to give them food and water while they wait. That's what Georgia's doing. And that is where President Biden went this week to talk about his anger over these Republican efforts.
0: It's not just here in Georgia. Last year alone, 19 states, not proposed, but enacted 34 laws attacking voting rights. There were nearly four 100 additional bills Republican members of state legislatures tried to pass. And now, Republican legislators in several states have already announced plans to escalate the onslaught this year. Their end game to turn the will of the voters into a mere suggestion. Something states can respect or ignore. Jim Crow 2.0 is about two insidious things. Voter suppression and election subversion.
1: Biden wants two pieces of legislation passed: the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Amendment Act. He can get them through the House, but the Senate, that's another story. So he gave senators a choice. How do they want to be remembered by history? And he challenged them in a way that even some Democrats thought was going too far.
0: So I ask every elected official in America... How do you want to be remembered? At consequential moments in history, they present a choice. Do you want to be on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? This is the moment to decide to defend our elections, to defend our democracy.
1: So the binary choice here given by the president, vote my way or you're as bad as the president of the Confederacy in the Civil War or the bigoted 1960s police chief of Birmingham who attacked blacks with German shepherds and fire hoses. That's the part that has infuriated Republicans. Here's Utah Senator Mitt Romney.
2: He said quite a number of things that simply weren't true. He also accused a number of my good and principled colleagues in the Senate of having sinister, even racist, inclinations. He charged that voting against his bill allies us with Bull Connor, George Wallace, and Jefferson Davis. So much for unifying the country and working across the aisle. More troubling, however, he said that the goal of some Republicans is to, quote, turn the will of the voters into a mere suggestion. And so President Biden goes down the same tragic road taken by President Trump, casting doubt on the reliability of American elections. This is a sad, sad day. I expected more of President Biden, who came into office with the stated goal of bringing the country together.
1: The president says getting these voter protection bills passed is so important that he now favors changing a key Senate rule. It's called the filibuster to make it easier to pass them. But some Democratic senators oppose getting rid of the filibuster. There's a good reason for this. Democrats could be in the Senate minority again, possibly as early as next year. And that is when the filibuster could help them, just as it helps Republicans now. The filibuster helps the party that is in the minority. There's a bit more to it than that, but that's the basic construct. Anyway, the bottom line here, Biden is going to have a lot of trouble getting rid of the filibuster, which means he's also going to have a lot of trouble getting these voting bills passed, just like he's having trouble getting his Build Back Better plan passed. Speaking of voting, one Republican senator did something that seems newsworthy this week. He said the 2020 election was won fair and square by President Biden. That senator was South Dakota's Mike Rounds. Here's what he told ABC. We looked, as a part of our due diligence, we looked at over 60 different accusations made in multiple states. While there were some irregularities, There were none of the irregularities which would have risen to the point where they would have changed the vote outcome in a single state. The election was fair, as fair as we've seen. Uh,
4: We simply did not win the election as Republicans for the presidency.
1: Rounds was immediately attacked by former President Trump, who called Rounds a jerk. But Rounds has doubled down, calling on other Republicans to speak up and tell the truth. Again, that's South Dakota Senator Mike Rounds, a Republican. We're not done with Trump yet. He did something rare this week, too. He appeared on National Public Radio. A host on their morning show, Steve Inskeep, said they've been trying to get Trump since 2015 when he first announced that he was running for president. They sparred for about seven minutes or so, mostly about the pandemic and the 2020 election. With Trump doing most of the talking, it ended like this
4: we got we got a number of votes that i think you'll agree no sitting president has ever gotten a number of votes that i got no a lot sitting of votes, president that's true. has ever in, gotten a lot of no lot of sitting you, president do you I, nobody believes it, you think biden no, got 80 million it's, votes it's, it's it's true. i don't believe it it's true that you, you got more got than any sitting in president in the election that disputed how come um, he couldn't if, if I, I can, Mr. Biden, President, Mr. President, let me ask you this question. How come Biden couldn't attract 20 people for a crowd? How come when he went to speak in different locations, nobody came to watch, but all of a sudden he got 80 million votes? If you're, nobody believes if you're forgiving, maybe because the election was about you. If I can just move on to ask, are you telling Republicans in 2022 that they must press your case on the past election in order to get your endorsement? Is that an absolute? They're going to do whatever they want to do, whatever they have to do, they're going to do. But the ones that is smart. The ones that know, you take a look at, again, you take a look at how Carrie Lake is doing, running for governor. She's very big on this issue. She's leading by a lot. People have no idea how big this issue is and they don't want it to happen again. It shouldn't be allowed to happen and they don't want it to happen again. And the only way it's not going to happen again is you have to solve the problem of the presidential rigged election of 2020. Mr. President, if I'm... One more question. It. I want to ask about a court hearing yesterday on January 6th. Judge Amit Mehta, he's gone. Okay.
1: Well, that went pretty much as expected. You know that old uh, Clint Eastwood movie, by the way, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly? That's what that phone call was, Trump- praised vaccines, said people should get vaccinated. That's good. But then he hung up on Inskeep in the middle of the call. That's bad. Rude, really. But the worst part, the ugly part, he keeps pushing the big lie about the election. The election he lost by 7 million votes. Speaking of vaccines, the Supreme Court dealt the White House a setback Thursday, shooting down a plan to require that employees at large businesses get a vaccine or test regularly and wear a mask on the job. But the court did give the White House a partial win by allowing vaccine mandates for most health care workers. The two decisions coming in the middle of the current Omicron variant that's filling hospitals to the brim. About 1,800 Americans are dying daily right now. The total U.S. death toll as the pandemic approaches year three, about 845,000. Another number going up, inflation now hitting 7% for the last 12 months, the Labor Department says, but it slowed a bit in December. We'll see if that continues. And troubling news on the law enforcement front, 73 officers were murdered in 2021. FBI Director Christopher Wray, writing in the Wall Street Journal, says, We owe it to them to redouble our efforts to take the most violent offenders off the streets and to make sure officers have the resources, equipment, and training they need to do their jobs safely. Even more, we need to ensure the brave men and women know that the communities they serve have their backs. That's FBI Director Christopher Wray.
0: Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.
1: Could there be war in Europe? The U.S. thinks the threat of a Russian invasion of Ukraine is real talks this week between Russia, the U.S., and America's European allies appeared to make little progress on diffusing tensions over Ukraine. I spent five years working in Moscow, but today I'm joined by someone who worked there far longer, David Satter, whose first posting in Moscow was nearly half a century ago. Over the decades, he's worked there on and off, Written numerous books and was kicked out of Moscow in two thousand thirteen, which I regard as a badge of honor
3: it's important to bear in mind that this is a manufactured crisis. The situation has not changed. NATO membership for Ukraine is not on the agenda in the near future. Uh, this is something I think that has its source in in the evaluation of uh, by the Russians of the present administration, I think after the withdrawal from Afghanistan and the, the desperation and even monomaniacal fashion in which the administration pushed to get our troops out of there, regardless of the situation on the ground and regardless of the consequences for other people, including those who fought with us and, and, and sacrificed, and that was kind of a signal that uh, that the United States is ripe for being intimidated and ripe for being pushed around, and uh, as a result, uh, P- Putin simply uh, generated this crisis. It's something that uh, there was no particular need to do. There was there were no developments uh, on the ground that warranted revving up of a of a crisis, and. Uh, the position of the United States had not changed. The position, even of Russia, had not particularly changed. The crisis came out of nowhere, and I believe that it can be attributed to uh, just the general situation and the and the assumption by uh, the Russian government that the time is ripe for trying to uh, to to get concessions and to and to intimidate the United States.
1: How much of this is? Attributable to well. Let me approach this in a in a different way. Sometimes I wonder if uh, analysts of Russia focus too much on its strengths as they appear to the outside world, not enough on its internal weaknesses. For everything from uh, demographics to uh, their economy, on and on and on. Russia is actually a pretty weak uh, country in certain respects, uh, in decline in certain respects. Its economy, I think, has been compared to, what, I think something about the size of uh, Italy with 140 million people. And were it not, of course, for weapons and fossil fuels, I'm not quite sure what uh, they would uh, have And Putin, uh, some analysts say, and tell me what you think, Mr. Satter, uh, he is trying to compensate for his internal weaknesses. We know about the crackdowns and everything by externalizing his strength abroad to try and impress Russians that uh, they're standing tall and proud on the global stage. uh, What's your sense of all that?
3: Well, I think that's that's very true. I think the, the whole point here is, of course, to consolidate the hold on power of a very small group, it's important to bear in mind there may be 100 families in Russia that control 35% of the country's wealth. It's a phenomenal concentration of wealth. And it's basically a dictatorship in which they, uh, although they have make-believe elections and they have supposed courts, it's basically a country in which the levers of power are all in the hands of this small group. And uh, to consolidate that power and to strengthen it, uh, despite the fact that there is discontent in Russia, they turn to foreign, to foreign adventures of one kind or another. War for Russia is an instrument of internal policy. Uh, and we've seen this ever since the fall of the Soviet Union.
1: The thing about Russia I asked Satter about, the internal weaknesses that the Russians have and hide from the outside world are gradually causing more problems for Putin and the other corrupt and violent men that rule that icy country. Satter tells me what their biggest fear is. It's
3: a country that uh, in many respects is too sophisticated for the form of government which exists there. And uh, as you know, with each with each year and each decade, uh, the the regime grows old. It becomes more corrupt, more repressive, more insular. The children of those in power are elevated to to to, to high positions, and then their grandchildren, then then the grandchildren, uh, cutting off opportunities for people who are actually a great deal more ca- talented. Uh, the uh, a Democratic example of the West. pressures are going to come from within the country uh, because Russia is a different country today than it was under the Soviet Union. This is a, a country that is much more sophisticated, much more connected to the world. It has a it has a real middle class, uh, although that middle class uh, does not have political influence at the moment, it is known to the Russian people and it is attractive. And perhaps most of all, if Ukraine succeeds in developing democratic practices and institutions, uh, that will be a very, very powerful uh, magnet for those in Russia who, who, who would like to see a more democratic, a more just society. That's the reason why that is the true threat. That Ukraine poses to Russia not any kind of military threat. The Russians know that no one no one is seeking to attack them, uh, but they do fear the 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 impact of the, of a democratic example in a country like Ukraine, which is many ways is so close to Russia and has shared so much of their history. My thanks to
1: David Satter, one of the world's top experts on Russia. Now let's hear about another Evergreen podcast that I know you'll enjoy.
3: We often hear about the individuals who took the oath of office to become the chief executive. But what about the other people who play a role in each administration or the events that may not be as well known, but that contribute to the reshaping of the office of the American presidency? On the Presidencies of the United States, we explore each administration beyond just the person holding the highest elected office in order to better understand the history that brought us to the modern-day presidency. I hope you'll join me on this journey through the annals of presidential history. Presidencies can be found anywhere fine find podcasts can be found, and is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Time now to open up the West
1: Wing Report's archives and see what made history this week in the past. 1908, Theodore Roosevelt designated the Grand Canyon as a national monument. T.R. was really the first truly conservationist president. He protected 130 million acres of forests, created five national parks. The Grand Canyon was upgraded to a national park in 1919 and 51 wildlife preserves. By the way, it's for these efforts to safeguard our natural beauty that Teddy Roosevelt was chosen to be on Mount Rushmore. 1943, another Roosevelt Franklin became the first sitting president to fly when he traveled to Casablanca, Morocco for war talks with Winston Churchill. He flew all the way from Miami on a Pan Am Clipper. And 1991, Congress approved George H.W. Bush's request to use force against Iraq and push its forces out of Kuwait. The Persian Gulf War began days later. One more history. Check out my books on Amazon. I'll sign them for you, too. Just shoot me an email. pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. And need a speaker for your event? I do that, too. Current events, economics. Analysis history. I connect the dots, and would love to hear from you. Speaking of books, by the way, I'll send you one if you download my new app. It's called West Wing Reports, available in the Apple and Android stores. Just download it on your phone or tablet, and there's a button called "What's on Your Mind." All you do is push, talk, and send. That's it. And the question I have for you this week: How do you rate? President Biden's job performance so far. He's been in office for nearly a year. As you know, how do you think he's doing? Leave a comment. Your name goes into a drawing for any of my books, your choice i like to end each week with a quote, something you might find thoughtful. This week, it's from Harry Truman. America was not built on fear. America was built on courage, on imagination, and an unbeatable determination to do the job at hand. Think about it. That's all for this week. Here's my email, pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. My Twitter address, by the way, at West Wing Report. West Wing Reports is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to C-SPAN for the audio clips. Our producer, sound designer and engineer, Noah Fouts. Executive producers, Michael DeAloia and Gerardo Orlando. I'm Paul Brandis in Washington. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.